Ran out of that grave. I love that. In case you don't realize and understand exactly what we're talking about, you know, it talks about the fact that when Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden and they sinned, it says that just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, so now righteousness entered through the world through one man, Jesus. So the picture is, is that when sin entered in, humanity became enslaved. Uh, death and sin conquered. There was no victory over sin. I don't care who you are. You're not going to somehow, if you get deeper into yourself or you have special intelligence or special gifting or anything like that, that somehow you're going to be able to kind of build yourself out of sin and conquer sin. Um, you're not going to conquer death. It's one thing that we all will face and we all have to deal with. Everybody I have ever met at some point has, gonna, has passed away except that Jesus would come. And so death and sin reigned. And what happened is that when Jesus Christ, when God sent his son, Jesus, into our world, and he took upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh, and he dwelt among humanity, that he went to a cross, and there on that cross, he dealt with, with this sin issue. He conquered death. He was buried, and he rose again three days later. That's why it says, just as he lives, we live in him, or we live because of him. And because he lives, I know I live. Because he conquered, I know I will conquer because of my faith and my trust in him. So Jesus set us free. He set us free from death and sin. So when he called our name, we ran out of that grave. No longer does sin and death dominate. Now Christ is our, is our king and he's delivered us. So thank you guys for that. Man, what a great weekend for D now. In a minute, I'm gonna ask you guys to help me with something and, um, and then we're gonna take time. But I wanna take a moment here and talk to, to, to all your parents and the adults for a minute. Um, <clears throat> Tuesday night, I know the deacon and the elders met and whether you, you, you guys know it or not, we spent significant time praying for you guys. Um, I've been praying that I would not get choked up for a minute because I don't think people know how much the students in our church mean to me personally. Um, if you've been in my college group, you know I take that personally. And you know that I pray over our children and I pray over our teens and our students because uh, uh, it's a horrible battle out there. Um, we are in a spiritual warfare. Next week I'll be talking about spiritual warfare as it relates to prayer. Um, and I would encourage you if you're able to be here. But we are in a spiritual warfare and our enemy, uh, Satan himself, um, he is ruthless. The way he attacks is horrific. The way he, he, he deceives and the way he blinds and the way he tries to make truth look like, like lies and lies look like truth. And the, and the onslaught of our children and our students is unbelievable. It, the spiritual battle that they're fighting is unreal. The spiritual battle we're fighting is unreal. When we see homes devastated, when we see homes struggling, we need to be praying. I talked about it last week about prayer and faith and that we need to be a people of faith that when we pray. But dear people of God, we need to pray. I've been praying for these kids every day this week and praying that God works in their hearts in such a special way. 
And I know some of you have been telling me about praying for our kids this week. And it's important. They're important. And we need to be in prayer. And when it's a spiritual warfare. And so this morning, all I want to do is I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to walk down here in a minute. And I'm going to pray with these guys. I want to pray over them. And I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray for your homes. And I want you to pray for these kids. And pray their hearts will be protected. Uh, our media today, the little thing they carry around, I don't know what they, what do they call those, those little like phones? Uh, <laughs> YouTube, uh, you know, all those things. Google, they, 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 they in flood tremendous amount of information. I think it was Tamara said this weekend, said more than any other time in history has there been more information than what they have. And yet we're seeing more and more of anxiety issues and depression and more issues with our children. It's a spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual battle. And if we aren't praying, we're losing the battle. If we're not praying over our kids. So I want to take a moment and and, uh, I'm going to pray for them. But before we pray, we're going to be in the book of of Matthew chapter six. We're gonna be looking at the Lord's Prayer. And I'm gonna ask everybody to stand. I'm gonna ask the the students if they'll help me lead this verse as we all stand and and we say the the Lord's Prayer together. And then we'll go into prayer. Now, please keep in mind that as as we read God's Word, if you go ahead and throw it up there for me, please. As we read God's Prayer together, this is, this is His Word. This is what God has to say to us. This is Jesus talking to his disciples and he's telling them how to pray, that God's inviting us to pray. It's amazing to me. And so when we read this, we read it with reverence, with awe, that this is the truth of God and this is what he has to say to us. So if you guys will help me by leading this as we, as we say it together. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. And I'm going to pray over these guys. You join me in prayer. Dear Father God, I pray for you, for these young men and women. Oh God, I pray that your spirit this weekend spoke to their hearts. I pray, God, that there's, maybe there was bitterness and anger that just got melted away, division, and that, Father, there was healing. I pray, God, that you would protect their hearts. I know, God, they're in a battle that many of them are not ready for spiritually. And yet your word tells us, Father, that it is able to sustain us, it's able to keep us, And that the power of God works in us, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead and set him at the right hand of the Father, that same power works in those who believe for these these students. I pray, God, that they would know of your power, of your strength, of the victory that is theirs in Christ Jesus. We, We enjoy yelling, we ran out of that grave. But, oh, God, may we understand the power of that statement that Jesus has set us free. That, Father, no longer do we have to succumb or yield to all the demands of the world, but that we stand in the righteousness of Christ and you call us your own. That, oh, God, you are loving towards us in all things. 
May Father, every one of these students know that. I pray, oh God, as they go back to school this week, as they go back into their activities this week, that you would put a hedge about them and you would protect them. You would keep them, Father, safe. Keep them in your hand. May they know of your strength and of your power. That every day they would walk by faith and not by sight. That, Father, they would not be distracted by the things of the world, but they would know of your goodness and of your love towards them. And that, Father, you would use them for your glory and for your power. Father, I pray for all of us, and even now, I pray, God, that you would just speak to us, your people. That, God, your spirit would move through us in such a way that, oh God, we would know that you're speaking to us and we would know your truth in the word and that, Father, our lives would be different because we heard from you. May God, you use us for your glory and your purposes. And God, just go past all of the sins, the iniquities and the shortcomings of the servant and speak to us, your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, thank you guys. I also want you young people to know something. And since I'm talking about prayer, the greatest revivals, if you look in history, started from young people, from young adults who took it upon themselves to pray and to believe in God and to trust in God. That was one of the things we talked about last week was faith, that they believed in God and that God would work. You pray for your schools, you pray for your for your friends and and see what God will do. I challenge you to pray, to see what God will do. I challenge you to do that. I believe in a God that hears our prayers and and answers. If you were on your way in this morning, you probably got a yellow card. Um, This is not my sermon outline. I probably wouldn't get through the first couple of verses. Um, So just warning you there. Uh, But what I've done is same thing I did last week. Last week, I handed out a blue one and it's just, about studies and prayer, prayers in the Bible and so forth, different prayers you can look at, some books to get. We need to make prayer kind of a discipline of our lives. And so the idea behind the one last week is just to give you a tool to kind of study and look at prayer, and this today is prayer of worship. We're gonna be talking about how prayer is worship. Worship is prayer. And so in these passages are some passages about our God and ways that we can worship him and we can pray and worship him. I would encourage you to get that, to work, walk through and to kind of look at it and to, as we discipline ourselves, as we learn to, to, to pray. Last week, we looked at Matthew, began in Matthew chapter six, and we never really got into the Lord's Prayer today. We'll do that. But last week, we began to talk where Jesus was talking about their righteousness. It tells us in James, I think it's 516, it says the purpose, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's, as it's working. In other words, I think another version would say the, the prayer of a righteous, righteous person accomplishes much. Because righteousness has a, big, a lot to do with praying, whether you realize it or not. And so last week when we looked at Matthew chapter six, we kind of looked at the, the background of the, of the passage and we saw where in verse one that Jesus said, beware of how you practice your righteousness in front of others. Righteousness and the idea of, of really doing, doing what is right. That how you conduct yourself in front of others makes a big deal. And if we even went back further into chapter 5 and verse 20 where Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. Which I think to the average Jewish person of that day would have just kind of blown them away. Like, 
what? I mean, like, who is more righteous than the, than the scribes and the Pharisees? And how am I supposed to be more righteous? And Jesus, in the following verses of chapter 5, he begins to give some examples. The first one he gave was, he says, you've heard it in the old that if you commit murder, you shall be judged. Well, I think most of us haven't committed murder. So we would go, oh, I'm righteous. Look at my righteousness because I haven't committed murder. This is something. And the Jews were really good at that. They had all these lists and laws and traditions that they would keep and they would say, hey, look at my righteousness. I'm righteous. And Jesus said, unless you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus went on. He says, but I say to you, if you hate your brother, you're going to be judged. It's really, really, really gets to the heart of the matter. In fact, he goes on, insults, if you call someone a fool. And what Jesus did is he, he kind of moved from just the action of life to the heart of life. He moved to, to what our motives were and our, our intents were. And, and he continues on. And he looks at several different things. Um, he talks about marriage or divorce. He talks about oaths. He talks about several different things in that chapter 5. And then he walks into chapter 6 and he says, beware of your righteousness when you conduct your righteousness in front of others. In those days, the Jew thought that if they were really good at, at giving to the poor and if they would pray and they fasted, then they were righteous. So they tried to make sure everybody knew. So when they gave to the poor, everybody knew that. Or if they prayed, they prayed when the key times of the day, when most people were out and about. So they would pray during those times and everyone would go, look how righteous they are. And, or then they would fast in such a way that everyone knew that they were fasting. So their righteousness was always out there in front of. And we would, you might sit here last, one of the, when we talked about prayer, one of the things we talked about last week is them doing this in front of people. And you might say, hey, look, you know, Greg, I don't pray in front of people. I don't, but you know, we do. You know, how many times have we been heard something and we go, hey, I'll pray for you. And we walk away and we never did. How is that any different? Because we put on a, a, a seeming amount of righteousness that I'm a righteous person and I'm gonna pray for you, but we really don't pray. And man, I was really convicted about this. Uh, I pray, you know, the little, in fact, I forgot to bring one up, those little cards in the back of your seat, those connect cards. Uh, we get people that write prayers on those and I take those very seriously. I, and some of you, I've been praying for years, still waiting for God to answer. <laughs> and I believe he will. I believe in a God that will. But keep praying, right? You know, but man, sometimes we, we take our prayers and, and we throw them around in a, in a way that it seems like we're trying to be righteous. Or it's just a nice thing to say, well, hey, I, I'm thinking of you or I care about you. But prayer is so much more. And Jesus really dealt with that. And in fact, he takes it another, another step. The, the Gentiles who kind of babble and babble and, you know, they throw out all these words and repeat things over and over again because they think in the multiple re, re, repetitiveness of their words that somehow God's going to hear them or somehow God's going to be manipulated to do something for them. And Jesus said, hey, your father who sees in secret already knows what you need. And that was so powerful to me. Because it means that when I come before God, I don't come before him with a shopping list of my needs that he didn't know about. He already knows about the needs. And so many times we evaluate our prayers by whether they were effective or good or not by the outcome. And yet last week I shared two incidences where 
I, we prayed over somebody very specific, and one, the outcome was what I hoped, and the other one wasn't. Does that mean one prayer was effective and the other one wasn't? No, not at all, because I prayed in faith. I, I trusted God with the answer, and sometimes it doesn't always work out the way I want, but then I trust him, because the Father who sees in secret, who knows everything about me, knows us. He knows what we need. And so we trust him. And so last time we looked at that first marker, when we talk about markers, we're not talking about sequences or steps. We're talking about characteristics or attitudes and motives within prayer. And the first marker is that when we pray, we pray with faith. We pray believing. If we look up here, if get that up, the first marker is, is faith. Well, the second marker we're going to begin to look at today is worship. Now, I want you to notice that this this guy's in a different, the first one was the hands, this one, the next one's going to be different. Because one of the things I want you to realize is prayer takes place in all kinds of situations. There's times I'm in my office where something hits me heavy and I'll pull my chair around and and I'll kneel and I'll just get down on my knees and really seek God. There's other times, because I, I can't sit very long, I'll get up and I'll walk through the building and I'll, and I'll be praying, or I'll just walk somewhere to pray. I've even gone out in the back over here, not on the really hot days, and, and walked around on the back of the buildings, you know, just, just, just praying. I, I know God hears me on the hot days, I just can't take it. Uh, so, you know, that's the only thing. Sometimes when I'm driving, I'm praying. Always with my eyes open, but I'm always praying. You know, I've often said, if you see me, if you drive by and I don't notice you and you see me waving my arm and my lips moving, either I'm praying or I'm talking to one of the other drivers, you know, one of the others, uh, you know, one of those things is taking place. And then usually confession or repentance follows after that anyway. But, um, got, you know, so when we pray, we pray and we can pray in lots of different ways. Um, positions. It can be on our knees. It can be standing. It can be hugging another person and you're praying. Prayer, prayer is just simply talking to God. And just like in many of you, I've had conversations with in different scenarios and different situations. And so it is with our God. So, I, so we're changing that picture up each time. So pay attention as we, as we move along. So when we talk about <clears throat> prayer, when we talk about this second marker, we're talking about worship. So in Matthew chapter six and verse nine, Jesus began and he's teaching his disciples about prayer. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. I want us to stop for a second and think about that term Father, our Father. In the Old Testament, Father was not something that was a major theme in the Old Testament. Most of the time when Jewish people prayed, they, they multiplied the, the different titles of God. They would speak of his sovereignty. They would speak, speak of his glory. In fact, if you look at some of these passages in the Old Testament, you're going to see these, these, these dramatic and, and, and thought-out descriptions of, of the majesty and the glory and the, the power and the uh, omnipotence of God and, and who he is. His omnipresence, his, his ever presence around us, his, his everlasting kingdom, and his everlasting uh, being, and who he is. And you'll see a lot of those kind of titles. So when Jesus begins to teach and he says, Our Father, in fact, that word is literally Abba, Father. It's a personal description. We might say Dad or Daddy. It's that idea of personal to the Jewish leaders of the time. That may have seemed very presumptuous. You know, it may have seemed like, like, gee, you know, Jesus, you're, you're not really honoring God. You're not really drawing him in. So when we pray, when we pray our Father, what does it move in your heart? Does it stir you up? 
I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this concept, this idea of our Father. You know, sometimes we come in, we think of kind of God as someone way out there, someone unapproachable, someone who's, you know, way over there, and we don't really see him in a sense of, of closeness. And yet Jesus is, is combating that by drawing out our Father. Does it, does it stir you? Is your heart stirred when you think about our Father? Some of you have heard me share before, you know, <clears throat> my mom was 17 when she became pregnant. She was out of, out of wedlock. It was before she, uh, she wasn't married. <laughs> and uh, it's always hard to share this for me. But she wasn't married. <clears throat> and when she had me, my biological father really didn't want to have anything to do with me. I've never met the man that I remember. Um, my mom, the family came around and they began to raise me and my mom was working two jobs and my grandmother was keeping me during the day and that was kind of the, that was kind of my life. And when I was three years old, my mom took me and went and found my biological father and one more time said to him, do you want to have any part of Greg's life? You know, I mean, any part. And he didn't want to have anything to do with me. Rejection. It hurts. So when I became a believer, and I remember in about my junior year in high school, I learned about the doctrine of adoption. You know much about that? Adoption's really neat. Whereby we have been adopted, we've been brought into the family of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. That because of him, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and that he redeemed me, he brings me into the family of God, and my father, my heavenly father, calls me his own. It was amazing when I began to read that it says that, you know, <laughs> it says that we're co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Did you know that? We're co-heirs with Christ Jesus. That, that the Son of God, we are co-heirs. We're brought into the family, and he no longer calls us enemies, but he calls us his own. And the, and the picture is that God, our loving Father, brings us into his family, and he calls us our own. And for me, that changed everything. See, I don't know what your past is like in your relationship with your father, but for me, when I begin to realize, I realize that I have a father in heaven, a father who loves me, a father who cares about me, a father who wants to hear from me, a father who wants my life to interact with him. And that's what prayer is. It's interacting our lives with him. It's bringing him into our lives. And then we have a father who wants to be a part of that I have a heavenly father who is loving and, and caring and who wants to know me and have a relationship with me. I have a father who, who <laughs> I'm going to say it again, loves me so dearly. That we have a loving father and he's never going to fail you. You may have not had a great relationship with your earthly father. I was rejected and by grace of God, I was given a stepdad who loved me and called me his own. And that picture became even so much more vital to me of a loving heavenly father who cares about me and loves me and, and brings me into his family and he calls me his own and he wants to know me in a, interacting my life with him in a personal way. 
And that's what prayer is. And then we begin to worship our Father. Does it stir within you? Is your heart stirred that there's a loving God who wants to know you and hear from you? Think about that. We live in a day where people cut us off so quickly, don't we? I mean, gosh, I, I hate internet anymore. It's just like incredible. I just, you know, the things that we are so free to say on Facebook and, 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 and on the internet, it's just unreal. And we cut each other off so quickly. And yet we have a God who pursued us and who's inviting us. Jesus said, pray like this, pray our Father. And the first thing he addresses is the personal relationship that we can have with God. And then he says, in heaven. And I love that idea because it speaks of his transcendence and his eminence. All at the same time that, that we have an almighty, all-powerful God who is full of glory and majesty. And from everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's no one else like him. He is the king. He is the God of gods. There's no one else that, bows a knee, that, that, that he bows a knee to. There's no one. He is it. And at the same time, he loves me and he cares about me and he calls me into a relationship with himself and he wants me to, he wants to hear from me. He wants me to pray. Isn't that incredible? That we have a father in heaven. It should move us in such a way that prayer becomes something that we just long for because he's ready. It doesn't matter. You don't have to set an appointment with him. You don't have to kind of work him into his schedule. He is ready to hear. He is there. He is now. He loves and cares for his children. And he will never let you down. He will never fail you. You may feel like it sometimes. But that's why the first step was faith. That's why faith was so important to understand that we pray in faith. But we pray in worship as well. And notice what, notice what it says. Notice what it says there too is it says in the sense of our Father. This is a, a community. That this morning, what we're doing here this morning is important. That we're coming together. We're coming together and praying and trusting God. When I walk through those doors today, I walk through those doors believing that God would move. Do you know that? I do it every week. This is gonna sound crazy to you guys. I promise this is gonna sound crazy to some of you. But I come in, I expect God to move. I expect, man, that we would have our hearts so full of who God is that the very building we meet in would shake. That we would get shaken out of our chairs. Because God's going to move. You, Greg, are you serious? You pray? I, I do. I do. And sometimes I think because of our own, own hardness, of our own hearts, we don't hear God. Because we get so busy in the ways of life. We get so busy in, in the comfort of life. And we, get, we just get to where God's kind of tacked onto our lives instead of him becoming the most important. That when we begin to a place that when we start thinking about all the things that we can do, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm the guy that kind of like, I'm a fix-it guy, right? Like, oh, I see something, I just run and do it instead of taking the time to pray. But we get so comfortable in all those things. And he says, our Father, this is in community, this is important, this is what we're gonna do. When we prayed over our kids a few minutes ago, I hope you joined me in that prayer. I hope you join me praying and believing that God will work in our students. 
I believe that God can break down the, 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 the issues that they deal with and that they can find faith and trust him. I pray over you and your homes. I pray in some of your situations that you've shared with me with. And I pray over those and I believe. And when I walk through these doors, I want to see God move in such a way that we can't be the same. Prayer is everything. It's everything. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's an interesting term. I, I probably could go down here to the kids and go, what does hallowed mean? And they're like, you mean like a hallowed out or, you know, I don't know. And who knows what they would come up with? Maybe you don't know either. The word is literally first in the sentence because it's such an emphasis of what Jesus is saying. It's the idea to mean to keep holy or kept holy. It's the verbal form of holy that we would that his name would be kept holy. It's an idea of awe. Now understand something, that God's name embodies everything that he is. He is a holy God. Now, we're not praying that somehow God's name would be kept holy in the sense of that he wouldn't be holy. There's never a moment God isn't holy. But the picture is that I would understand that God's name is holy, that that would impact my life. In fact, the word there, I think, is literally the, the, the word that I like the best is the word sacred, that his name is sacred. And I started thinking, you know, all the different things that I could think of about what is sacred today. Have you ever, have you ever thought about what is sacred? And I couldn't think of anything. I mean, what, did, what do we have in our society that we keep as sacred? When I was a kid, you mean, you, you honored the police and you honored the, the pastors. I mean, if he was a pastor, there was a certain respect. And, and I understand that humanity and all of its sin has hurt some of those relationships. I understand all that. But I was honored, I was taught to honor the positions too. The position of a president, the way I spoke about him, the way I talked about him. I was taught to honor lots of different things. And today, I, I don't think we're taught that. Everything's, everything's fair game. It drives me nuts when I hear OMG, right? Like, oh my, you know, isn't that what we do? Like, why don't we throw God's name around like it means nothing? God is, God is to be sacred to us. It changes everything when you start thinking about who he is. You see, before I became a believer, before I came to Christ when I was a young kid, God's name was a little more than a cuss word, to be honest with you. You know, we just threw it on the end of a sentence after we said some other flowery speech. God, who was God? God meant nothing. He wasn't sacred to me. And then Jesus redeemed me. Jesus took me, this young boy who had no clue about life, and, and I'm not sure I understand life, I just understand who God is, right? Who, knew, who did not know God, and he redeemed me. He took me out of the clutches of sin and death, and he set me free in the righteousness of Christ, in the grace of God, and his name became everything. His became, became sacred to me. His name became holy to me. Everything about who he is, it, it, everything changed when I came to Christ, when I understood the, the redemption that God provided for me through his son, Jesus Christ. It all changed. And all of a sudden, when I say, hallowed be thy name, that, that his name would be holy in the way that I use it, in the way that I, 
that I believe and the way that I, that I refer to him and the way that I think of him because he's worthy. I, I walk in a way that I do with God because I love him so much because of what he's done for me, that he's redeemed me, he's set me free. I started asking myself the question, that if, that if we started praying and, and worship became a part of our prayers and faith became a part of our prayers, literally our ambitions would change. Our desires, our goals, it would, it would be rooted in God's glory and who he is and we'd want to lift him up. Not my glory, not what I want, but what does he want? And I begin to think too, well, what does that look like in, in the church? If we as the church begin to, to pray, and when I say church, I mean people, I don't mean building, but us as his people, if we begin to pray, hallowed be thy name, what would that look like? Would it not be our lives packed full of unadulterated worship? That God's people longing for his glory and not for their self? not for their own glory or our own superficial ideas of programs and accomplishments, but literally that God would be glorified. Our greatest satisfaction would be in the presence of God, not in our empty pursuits in this world. That we would all of a sudden be more interested in who God is and what he's wanting to do and accomplish, and we would pursue him. If God answers, it looks like a church willing to count the cost of whatever Christ is asking of us because we just love him so dearly. What does it look like at MBC? I think it would be a church full of broken and humbled people hungry for God, filled with worship. You think God would shake the fibers of our building if we had that? You think God would, would be so desirous to, to use us in such a way, in a powerful way, if we were a people, that his name was so sacred that, that we were willing to be all about Jesus and not about ourselves. When, when young people begin to set aside all of their selves and to begin to pray for your schools and your friends in school, oh, you haven't seen the hand of God yet. But God can do that. Dear people of God, when we begin to pray for our community and we begin to pray for those around us because God's name is sacred to us, would we not see the power of God? I believe we would. I believe God would work in such a way that, that his power would be, like, would be like the idea that Paul prayed in Philippians chapter three where he counted everything else as rubbish as, as, in fact, the word is literally done, you know? Just rubbish, garbage, trash, that I might know Christ, that I might know him, that we would have a sacredness of his heart, a hollowness of his name in our lives to such that, that we, would, we would want nothing else but him. Hallowed be your name. You see, it's, it's faith and then the worship but our third marker is also kingdom, if you will, kingdom. If you look at the next, next verse in verse 10, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> Man, I pray often, Lord, Lord, just come. I was feeling that this week a little bit. I was like, Lord, can you just come? I mean, just come now. Let's just get this over with. Let's get this done. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the personal battle of sin. Did you hear what I just said? I am tired of the battle of sin. I'm just like you. 
I mean, sin is a battle. It's a personal battle. I'm no different because I stand up here. It doesn't make me any different. I fight sin every day just like you fight sin every day. And some days I just grow tired of it and I'm just like, God, come. I look out into our world and I see the destructiveness of our world that our adversary is having his way in our world. And I see the hate. I see how people hurt one another. You get involved with our human trafficking ministry and you'll see horrible situations that goes on in our world. It's why we need to be understanding about spiritual warfare and praying for our kids and for our children and for our, for our homes and for our community. And sometimes I just like, God, come, send Jesus, Jesus, come in all of your glory and all of your majesty and all the world will know, every eye will see, every knee will bow and confess that you are the Lord. Let's get it over with. You know, so there's that idea of, Lord, please come, come, come today. But then he also says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's a powerful statement. It's the kingdom of God at work in his people as we yield ourselves and, and we honor him and we yield to him. I, one of the greatest things that ever turned me around in my, in my relationship with God, and I was already pastoring, by the way, so it wasn't like I learned this and then pastored, okay? But it was the sovereignty of God at work in my life. You see, when I realized that God is sovereign and rules over all, everything changed for me the way that I expect him to answer my prayers, the way the circumstances happen in my life. I don't, there's a lot of things I don't get to choose in life, but I believe in a sovereign God, the one I will trust. And as I yield myself to him, I glorify him. I begin to realize that as I bring myself under him, and even though sometimes prayers aren't answered the way I would like for them, I realize that God is at work and I trust him. And I find that in, in the process of his purposes and his plans, it's good. But I learned that as I understand that he's sovereign. When we talk about your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, doesn't it begin in the house of God? Doesn't it begin with his people? That as we set ourselves and yield ourselves to him, as we surrender to him and we allow him to use us, as we set his purposes and his plans, as we begin to have kingdom-minded prayers rather than self-driven prayers, don't we begin to see him work in a particular way? Doesn't that bring him glory? And when we're gonna pray, shouldn't we pray kingdom-minded? Yielding ourselves to his hand that his will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And if the church, if God's people aren't yielding themselves to him, why do we think anything's gonna be different with those who do not believe? And then why do we look on them with such disdain when we ourselves have to yield ourselves to God that we would yield ourselves to him, that his will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. It begins here. And man, that changes everything for me. It changes the way I look at things when I'm, some of the things that I fight in my battle of sin, that I, I don't have a right to that anymore. 
That's not who I am. I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. I am this person who's been redeemed and a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. And then as I begin to yield myself, I begin to see the power of God. You see, one of the challenges is we begin to allow God's reign in our lives. One of the challenges for us is that a lot of our prayers are more and more me-centered, more and more selfish. Think about it. Are you praying prayers beyond yourself? If God were to answer all your prayers over the last 30 days, would you be the only one impacted? I have this quote, and it's a little bit offensive, I guess, maybe, but I think we need to hear it. It struck me, if you go ahead and put that up. James Walker said, we spend more prayer energy trying to keep sick Christians out of heaven than trying to keep the lost people out of hell. I don't know if that struck you, but it struck me. I remember a few years back, uh, Billy Graham's grandson was speaking. I got to hear him. And one of the things he shared is that his, he says, my grandfather wanted me to tell you all, quit praying for me. Because he was, he was so sick and he was, he was just ready to go home and be with Jesus. Now, I thought of that when I thought that. You know? But think about it. Do we pray kingdom-minded prayers? Do we pray for the lost? Do we pray for those who need Jesus? Is, is there such a way that, that we are thinking that we keep a kingdom-mindedness and that, that when we have a kingdom-minded uh, prayer, it moves us towards God and away from self? Does that mean we're not to pray for sick? No. It doesn't mean we're not to pray for things we're struggling with for ourselves. Absolutely not. But we need to be praying within the guides of God's kingdom. That his will would be done. I think the best example of this is the apostles. Before the Pentecost, before, before um, the Holy Spirit came on the church and the church began in Acts chapter 2, the disciples just didn't get it. Uh, they thought Jesus was, was going to set up his earthly kingdom. He was going to take down Rome. And they, that's why they were wanting one, a seat on one side or the other. They were like, well, you know, who's going to sit on your right? Jesus, who's going to sit on your left? Um, when Jesus died, what did they do? They scattered, they went and hid. Why? Because of fear. And then after the Holy Spirit came on, the beginning of the church, everything changed. If you think about it, they were all about advancing the kingdom of God from that point on. They were no longer seeking an earthly kingdom, but they were seeking the kingdom of God. They weren't seeking their, their own selfish desires of, of Jesus setting up a kingdom and them being high in the, in the ranking in the kingdom, but they were seeking a kingdom whereby God would be glorified. What is God's agenda? They went from fishing to, to shepherding the people of God. Their whole focus changed. They quit seeking a seat next to Christ and they began praying for boldness to share the gospel of Christ. Everything changed for them. And I think that's a key when we talk about praying, that we understand that we need kingdom-minded prayers, that it's not about our agenda, it's not about what we accomplish, but it's about what God wants to accomplish, that we become kingdom-minded. As a people, when we begin to pray in faith, when we begin to, to pray in worship, when we pray kingdom-minded prayers, I believe God will move through his people. That's when I believe that the buildings of our, of our facility could shake. Our chairs no longer can sit still because we can no longer sit still. We're praying and asking God to move in us in such a way that we cannot be the same anymore. 
That God would use us in such a way that our, that our community isn't the same, that we would have boldness regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's going on around us. It's interesting in the, in, in the church today, the number one issue in the church in America today, you know what it is? Money. Did you know that? I know we don't pray or don't teach a lot about, oh, give, you know, we, we don't do that a whole lot. But in the church today, the number one issue is money. And it wasn't even a concern in the first century church. Did you know what they were praying for? Give us boldness, God, that we might proclaim Jesus. They were praying that, that for the kingdom to be advanced, that the gospel would go forward. Who else hasn't heard? Where do we need to go? How are you gonna use us, God? And they were shaken out of the comfort of their seats and the comfort of their homes, and they didn't care about their circumstances because they were changed, because they were more worried about God's will being done on earth just as it is in heaven. They were, they were kingdom-minded in their prayers. And dear people of God, I believe that when we get kingdom-minded, we have yet to see what God could do. Let's pray. Father God, <sighs> Father, it's hard for me uh, because I find myself convicted as much on these passages as, as anyone. And sometimes it's so easy to go through the comfort of life and the normalities of life and, and really, Father, not to take into, re, into consideration you. And so we have a tendency, Father, just to kind of, I know I have a tendency to kind of just go through the activities of, of each day, Father, and kind of deal with the problems that come up and then not stop to pray. Forgive me. But Father, let us be encouraged to understand that your word, that you, Father, are calling us. You're inviting us. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to, to just spend time talking with you, to just walk about with you and just to, to kind of talk to you about the things of life. Not because you don't know but that our lives would intersect with you, Father, and interact with you in such a way that, that we're just making you a part of everything about us. Father, teach us to pray in faith. Teach us to understand prayer as worship, not just the music we're teaching, but that prayer is worship. And teach us, Father, to have kingdom-minded prayers. Father, let us grow tired of always asking you for something that makes my life better. But rather, Father, let me pray, what is it that you want to do? What is your agenda? Not mine. In Jesus' name, amen.